Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you and have you in this worship service. Uh, we're uh, now in chapter 7, and we will have just one uh, text and sermon today. And then next Sunday, we'll move on to uh, chapter 8. So if you have your bulletins with you, uh, please turn to, I believe, uh, page 6, or in your Bibles, turn to uh, John chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 1 and 2 and 37 through 39. Would you all stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word? After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booth was at hand. Skipping down to 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you begging uh, for your grace, seeking your presence, and the cleansing and purification of our hearts. And also you may revive us, empower us. But before you can do that, we want to be humbled. So through this text, we ask that you will teach us you will correct us, and you will change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, like I said, well, I picked only these verses uh, just to focus on one main idea, and which I'll explain to you a little while later. Now, uh, if, you read, if you read the rest of the uh, a passage in, in chapter 7, uh, you will know that Jesus is hated by many, many people. Uh, in verse 1, he says, after this, after this, Jesus went up, went about in Galilee, which is north. He would not go about in Judea, in the south, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So, if you read the rest of the story, and Jesus, you know, during the, uh, the Feast of, of Booth, uh, one of the big celebrations in Jerusalem, Many Jews wanted to go to Jerusalem, and Jesus usually went to Jerusalem whenever any kind of feast and celebration was happening because they, there were many people gathered, and he was able to uh, preach and teach them uh, over there. So, but in this case, he let his disciples and his brothers go first. And he went up to Jerusalem secretly alone because they were seeking to kill him. And verse 2 now, the Jews' feast of booth was at hand. Now, first of all, what is this feast of booth? Now, this Jewish feast of booth is also called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was celebrated in September or October. Now, the purposes for this feast are, first of all, to remember and to commemorate God's faithfulness. Because he, he, Yahweh faithfully provided for Israel during their wilderness wanderings. Now, second, it was also a time of 
thanksgiving for the harvest. In that case, uh, it is something similar to our thanksgiving today. That's why it took place in, uh, usually in September or in October. Now, for these reasons, God commanded Israel to celebrate this feast of booth. There are, there are several different places in the Old Testament that uh, the commemoration and celebration of this feast was commanded. Now, for, example, for, for example, in Leviticus 23, it says, You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. You shall dwell in, in booth for seven days. All native Israel's, Israelites shall dwell in booth that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booth when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Now, uh, the reason why, you know, as you can imagine, this feast was called the Feast of Booth was because the Jews were commanded to live in a leafy shelters, you know, like a kind of a cone-shaped you know, leafy shelters. You can Google and find photos because they still celebrate this Feast of Booth uh, in Jerusalem, in, uh, in, in Israel today. So it lasted, like, it's, like I said, it lasted for seven days. And on the eighth day, they, you know, they had another you know, big assembly. They gathered once before they would be dismissed. So, but the last day is the great day of the feast. Now on the last day of the feast, which was the seventh day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now, he stood up and cried out. In verse 37, he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, you, you read this many times if you're a Christian. I read this more than 100 times. And I was always wondering what this exactly means. Now, standing up, first of all, here, implies that Jesus has something important to proclaim, to declare to people. He stood up. Now, by this time, there were a big division among the Jews, and one party, which was a larger party, uh, that hated Jesus and wanted to kill him. They, did, they wanted to get rid of him. And the other party was sort of in favor of Jesus and wanted to you know, protect him and, and they kind of believed in him and wanted to protect him. And in the midst of those mixed groups of people, he stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Now, I have two main questions under which we're going to look, approach this uh, statement of Jesus. That's the main, main, uh, main uh, focus. If anyone thirst, let him, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, his heart will flow rivers of living water. We'll uh, try to uh, unlock the meaning of this statement. Now, first of all, why did Jesus cry out, cry out and proclaim this on the last day of the Feast of Booth? What has he saying to do with the Feast of Booth? To be more specific, what has the Feast of Booth got to do with living water? There must be some connection. Now, secondly, which is more importantly... I'd like to spend more time, much more time for a second question, which is, what did he mean by saying, especially out of his heart will flow rivers of living water? Now, do Christians today know what it means to have rivers of living water flowing in their hearts? When does it happen? And how does it happen? 
And we will know for sure when it happened. Many of us may have some sort of vague ideas about what this statement of Jesus could imply, but we want to know more specifically about the meaning of Jesus saying here because I believe it holds some, something, uh, some significant implication for all believers. So let's begin with the first question. Why did Jesus cry out and said this during the, during and on, the, on the last day of the Feast of Booth? Now, regarding the context of the Feast of Booth in which Jesus cried out, uh, Ritterbus, uh, a Dutch theologian, he says, What gave the Feast of Booth its special character, aside from living in Booth during the celebration of this ancient and joyful harvest festival, was the daily procession to Siloam. Siloam is, is a lake on the east side of, of Jerusalem, where water was dipped to be brought to the temple to the accompaniment of music and the recitation of texts like Isaiah 12.3. Uh, Jonathan talked about, you know, there's a connection between the first text and second. That's, that's it, you know. That's why we chose this text. Uh, after the procession around the altar, and which was repeated six times on the seventh day, that's why it is called the great day. The water was poured out on the altar of burnt offering in the temple. It symbolized not only as a harvest ritual, the hope and prayer for rain and fruitfulness, but also in connection with this, uh, the eschatological hope of wells of salvation overflowing with abundance. He also says, this is important, rivers of living water that is running is the image of purification and revitalization. By pouring water, it symbolized purification and revitalization. So by crying out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, Jesus invites those who are guilty and thirsty to come to him for purification and revitalization of their hearts. That is why he cried out this, I believe, the statement on the last day of this Feast of Booth. He said, there's a messianic, messianic prophecy uh, in all of the, all of the Jewish feasts, uh, for instance, uh, Passover, the Passover lamb, uh, this water, pouring water for purification, revitalization, all of which were supposed to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, let's move on to the second point. Now, what did he mean by saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and out of his belly, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water? Now, he makes a very special promise and blessing to those who believe in him. So let's break down this statement of Jesus into several parts and, and deal with them one by one. Now, who are the ones that believe in him? He says, if anyone thirsts. The ones that believe in him are the ones who know that they are thirsty. And the ones that they, they believe in Jesus Christ is the ones that they come to him. So to come to Jesus is to believe in him. To believe in Jesus is to come to him in your heart. We come to him through public worship, word, prayer, and the sacrament. We come to Christ in our hearts. And then he says, as the scripture has said. Now, he's not referring to one particular uh, scripture from the Old Testament. There's no such a thing. You cannot find 
uh, the exact statement from the Old Testament. However, he's referring to the collection of many places in the Old Testament, such as Isaiah 58. There are many, but I'll just quote one. Isaiah 58, uh, verse 11, in the middle, he says, You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. The places like that, he's alluding to places like that, I believe. And the promise and blessing for those who come to Jesus is that out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The word heart is translated as belly in different translations. Now, this is, the, this is a Hebrew word that means the inner person. It could mean heart or soul or inner being, inner person. So when, when put all these things together... We can understand what Jesus is saying here, and that is that those who believe in him will have rivers of living water flowing in their inner being for the purification and revitalization of their hearts and souls. When rivers of living water flow out of one's heart, he will have and experience both purification and revitalization of his heart or his soul. Now, I'd like to point out that here, here lies the main point of the text for today. It is about the identity of this living water. What is, what, what, what is living water flowing out of your heart? Out of the heart of the, of the believer? What is it? What is this water? What exactly is the identity of living water that, that cleanses and devitalizes our soul? And how does it happen? And when do we get to experience this purification and revitalization of our, of our heart? And how can we know for sure that we have experienced it? Some argue that rivers of living water symbolize peace. I mean, it could be. I think they're affected by this Christian song that goes like, I've got peace like a river, you know, three times, hallelujah, you know. So some people say, oh, this is talking about peace because, you know, I've got peace like river, you know. Well, that's not a totally wrong answer, but it seems a little off target to me. I cannot see clearly the connection between peace and purification or a connection between peace and revitalization. Maybe as an outcome of that, you can have peace. But the connection is very not clear. Not very clear. Now, some Christians argue that living water here symbolizes salvation. That may be true. I mean, that's true, but that's not specific enough for me. Salvation is such a broad uh, aspect. So I don't think it's specific enough to imply living water. Well, the key to figuring out the identity of living water is found in the following verse, verse 39. In verse 39, it says, Now this, I think this is what John, John the Apostle says, this he said, Jesus said about the Spirit. He came to realize that he was speaking about the Spirit by saying living water flowing out of believer's belly and whom those who believed in him were to receive. Now, John explains that rivers of living water or living water is the Holy Spirit whom the believers were to receive. It is the Holy Spirit that dwells in the believer and the Holy Spirit will flow like living water 
for the purification and revitalization of the, of the believer's heart. Now, so we found the right answer regarding the identity of living water, right? Holy Spirit. However, the problem is still that this is not specific enough. I mean, Holy Spirit is the right answer. But what about the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Holy Spirit is the spirit that convicts us of our sins and teaches us the truth. And what, what aspect of the Holy Spirit flows like rivers of living water? That's not clear enough. How, how the Holy Spirit purifies and revitalizes our soul and our heart. And as I, as, I, as I was struggling with this question, I was led to another place in the Bible. You know, you interpret Scripture with the Scripture, right? So, uh, there's, a, there's a place in the, in the New Testament which gave us, which can give us a hint for unlocking the meaning of Jesus saying in the text for today, that is Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I mean, important uh, place to, to visit. So, Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 5. In Romans 5 and verse 5, you, see, you can see the similarity of language. Um, it, it, it starts with like this, uh, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It says, God's love has been poured into our hearts, and they can flow through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It means that through the Holy Spirit, God's love has been poured into our inner being and it flows like rivers of living water. So I believe, in a nutshell, the very essence of living water is the love of God. And it is God's love that purifies and revitalizes our hearts and souls. The love of God cleanses us from all filthiness and unrighteousness and revives our soul. Well, some of you might not be still convinced of what I just talked about, namely, living water is the love of God. So let me flesh out my argument a little bit further. Now, a lot of times, let me begin this way. A lot of times, we don't actually experience rivers of living water flowing in our hearts. Why? Because I, I always wondered, you know, when do, I, when do I experience rivers of living water flowing out of my heart? I mean, it does sometimes or very rarely, but when do I experience this? How come I don't experience it every day? It is mainly because we block the work of the Spirit or the flow of living water in our hearts by desiring, loving, and even coveting the things of the world. How do I know? Because another place in the Bible teaches us that, which is 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 Verses 15 and 16. 
especially 15. Let me just read both 15 and 16. This, you're familiar with these verses. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see? The first John is written to believers. It ends in chapter 5. The last verse is, is bear of idols. It is written to the believers, and it says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It can be applied to non-believers as well, but if it should be applied to believers, which means something like this. If you love the world, if you love the things of the world more than you love God, God's love will not flow like living water. It means that the love of God and the love for the world are mutually exclusive. The love of God cannot flow like rivers of living water when we love the world more than we love God. It is our love for the world, our inordinate desire for the things of the world, that keeps us from experiencing the love of God flowing like rivers of living water in our hearts. As a result, our hearts are often dirty and dry. The natural condition of our hearts are like what the prophet Jeremiah describes. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In other words, how can we experience our, the freedom of conscience in our heart? How can you feel that God's love cleanses us? God's love revives us. Jesus cried out to those who are hopeless and desperately sick in their hearts, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone feels guilty and dry in his heart, if anyone feels sick and dying in his heart, let the love of God flow like rivers of living water for the purification and revitalization of his heart. When you embrace the love of God that has been poured, out, poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit, when you embrace that, when you come to realize the presence of God's love in you, then you will experience what Jesus is describing here. Out of your belly, your heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, when you sense the presence of God's love, when you experience God's love flows like rivers of living water, how would you feel? Would you feel happy, warm, joyful, peaceful? Yes, but that's not enough. I believe, let me be a little bit philosophical here. If you truly sense the presence of God's love in your heart, deep down in your heart, most likely you will be grieved. Remember Jesus' encounter with Peter? Jesus you know, cornered Peter by asking, do you love me three times in John chapter 21? 
Do you love me, Peter, more than all this? Means more than all these things of the world? Do you love me more than all these things of the world? Peter said, yes, I do. He asked the second time, do you love me, Peter? Yes, I do. But when he asked the third time, Peter's answer was different. He said, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Now, what does it mean by saying this? You know everything that you know that I love you. And he was grieved in his heart. What happened was that, you know, in our, in our text for today, I hope I don't confuse you. In our text for today, in verse 39, the second part in verse 39, let me just, let me just read the whole, whole verse. Now, this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit had not been given to the disciples because he was not yet glorified. means he, he wasn't crucified and raised yet. Remember the first day that he, was, he, was, he rose from the dead? The Sunday, the first day after the Sabbath? By the, by the report of, 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 the, of the woman, uh, John and Peter ran to the tomb, right, to, f- to find out that the tomb was empty. And they were all scared, and they, they kind of uh, hid themselves in the room, and Jesus appeared to them. And he goes, peace to you. Prior to Jesus' encounter with Peter and asking three questions, I mean, the question three times in chapter 21, that's days later. The third time he appeared to them, he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So by the time that Jesus met Peter and asked him the question three times, Peter had already possessed the Holy Spirit, which means God's love had been poured into his heart. By asking the same question three times, some people say it's a reminder of Peter's denials of Jesus three times. That could be true. But I believe that three is the number of, of, of like perfection or completeness. And he was asking this probing question three times to get into Peter's heart. And when Jesus asked first time, Peter said yes. Second time, he went deeper, a little bit deeper, yes. And the third time, he went all the way deep down in Peter's heart. And Peter came to realize that the love of God had been poured into his heart. That's why he says, you know I love you. You know, you made me love you. You love me first. Your love is, is, is poured into my heart. And that's the only reason I can love you. Because we love God you know, we love God because He loved us first. We can, there's no such human being can love God without being loved by God first. Peter says, I love you. You know this, right? Because you love me first. Your love is, is in me. Then why he was grieved? Why was he grieved? When you are in love with someone, when you are in perfect love with someone, you become one. And then guess what? You feel 
and sense and understand exactly the, 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 the condition of the other person, condition of the heart of the, of the other person. The other person's heart is, 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 is given to you, and you can sense it. You know, we talk about God's love, right? We talk God loved us. God loves us. Uh, Let me, let, me, let, me, let me put it this way. When you look at the cross, what do you see? Jesus dying on the cross for you, right? When you look at the cross, you see Jesus, the sinless Son of God, dying in agony, in pain for you. But look a little deeper. Behind the cross, something is hidden. I believe you, we should be able to look through the cross and be able to see God's heart that was broken when his son was broken on the cross. God's heart was broken. He was in in unspeakable agony. When his son Jesus was hanging on the cross, in unspeakable agony. That's the essence of God's love. God's love is not in the place about happiness. It's not about being warm. It's about being broken. He sent his only son to die on the cross. We hear this all the time. But do we really understand how hard it must have been for God to do that? This does not make sense to me at all. Many parents will do anything and everything for their children's safety and for their children's well-being. But God did everything for us sinners, his enemies, by sacrificing his own son. That's why God loves broken hearts. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise because only when our hearts are broken can we become one with God? You go through difficulties, hardships, let your heart be broken on his altar so that you can become one with him. You can understand his heart, his love that's been poured into your heart. This requires, like David Brainerd, earnest search for God in your life through his word. It's not like five minute quiet time. You know our problems? Whenever we have this moment in which we experience this amazing presence of God's love in our heart. Sometimes we are in tears. Sometimes we're in, we're, in, we're in happy pain. We cry. And those tears are tears of repentance and faith. And those tears are used for purifying our, purifying our hearts and revitalizing our soul. When we're in that moment, we say, I don't want to forget about this. I want to 
continue having this moment with God. Guess what? That's not going to happen because we forget all the time. As soon as we're in the world, we forget about God. We forget about His love. We, we go after the things of the world. But the good news is that He remembers us still, always. He remembers us always. As a matter of fact, even before the foundation of the world, He remembered you through His election. Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross, He remembered each one of you and embraced each one of you in His bosom and died with you. He didn't die just at ran- I mean, randomly for anybody or everybody. He died for you. And the good news is that He will come again and we remember all of you, those who believe in Him, and raise up all of them. Now, brothers and sisters, let us remember Him and His love. That's the essence of Christianity. You know, I don't say this to you. I don't want to make you proud, prideful. But I say this to others, that I'm proud of my church, my members, my elders, and my deacons, because you're so faithful. Many of you are so faithful in your service. But the motive for your service should be your love for God. Don't look at people. People may come and go. Motive for your service in your life is, should be your love for God, and your love for God is, was started and maintained and getting deepened by the love of God for you. By the love of God. God loves you beyond our imagination. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Rivers of living water will flow from your heart and let it flow. Don't block it. Let it flow. That's a great blessing for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. Lord, we look forward to meeting you in heaven and be able to see the gospel, your love, visibly. When we see Christ Jesus, his nail-pierced hands, we want to see the gospel. We want to see your love. And we want to praise you. Lord, in the meanwhile, we want to worship you, and we want to serve you, and we want to love you because you loved us first. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.